welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Hey, folks, welcome to another episode of Revenue Ops with ABM Alignment. Today we have Nick, Nick, who is a GTM operations manager, but also a filmmaker, a gamer, a uh, volunteer, and um, hobbyist with a lot of Internet of Things. Um, and today we will talk about um, technology as a teammate. Uh, it's a hot topic. We have all the new technologies out there, but many times are just buzzwords and marketing campaigns uh, to make us opt in and start using some techie stuff that uh, later on is super overwhelming and maybe not even relevant for, for GTM and, and RevOps. So Nick, uh, tell us a bit, how come a filmmaker gamer becomes a GTM manager and uh, how can you use all those skills as a GTM manager? Well, so that's a great question. And I actually get that a lot because um, my friends and family look at me like I'm insane. Um, but no, it, it actually makes a lot of sense when you look at it um, from a holistic standpoint, because the one thing that all of these things have in common is problem solving, right? So uh, I once heard somebody on a film set say, I'm not in the business of problems, I'm in the business of solutions. And that's something that I carry with me every day uh, into my home life and into my my career, right? So um, to your point, I am, you know, I have a big background in film. I've been making um, short films and I've produced a few feature films uh, from the age of like 14 onwards, been really into it. But um, to me, it's always been kind of a hobby. I like to to do that kind of as a side hustle. And I ping ponged around a lot in tech because, you know, what got me into filmmaking was the technology aspect. You know, cameras had these great technologies. They were super cool. And I like telling stories. I'm a very I'm a very verbose person. So um, that seemed like a natural fit for me. But I didn't see it as like a whole career option. So I started getting involved with tech. Um, I, I worked at Apple as like one of the call center reps for a little bit. That was who that was. A, I have mad respect for anybody who works at a call center because it could not be me. Um, I was an IT admin at a school for a little bit. So, you know, setting up um, virtual machines for uh, the teachers, virtual desktops, all sorts of crazy stuff there. Um, because it wasn't like high school when I had high school. It was a much different tech landscape. Um, a lot less blackboards, a lot more whiteboards and smartboards. Um, a lot more tech to support in schools today. And then um, I ended up where I'm at now, which is a, a company called Expedient. And we, uh, I've done a lot of different things in our organization. So I actually started in the support sector. Um, so I spent some time working on, you know, standing up firewalls, uh, tech support, call-in support, bunch of different things. Then I made my way over to the sales team. I was a sales engineer for a little bit. Um, I was involved with our partner team for a couple of years, um, you know, standing a partner program up, uh, looking at the back end of that. I became a Salesforce administrator in that time frame. Um, then I ran our Salesforce instance for a little bit. Um, and that has uniquely positioned me in my current role as a as a go to market operations manager because i now have the ability like i understand how all of these moving pieces work i have a much more holistic view of the company i have a much ho more holistic view of how these individual departments operate and uh for anybody out there who's looking to get into any sort of operations role that's the single most important thing you can do um because having an understanding of all of these different things and how the pieces fit together it allows you to create a layer of enablement that somebody without that information would never be able to do um so it's that constant tinkering and problem solving that got me to where i'm at today but it's also what allows me to um excel in my role and and think about things in a unique light that most normal people don't yeah i th I, I remember that when i first got my pc i'm, I'm from 85 yeah so i'm like going in my 40s and um when my father got me a uh, pc uh, i i needed to make it work faster because i was playing different games like i was i was big fan of doom like the shooter if you remember and um i needed a i needed a lot of rams so uh, i figured that what if i can just uh, you know open it up and try to understand what's happening inside 
and maybe I can boost it up and I can pimp it up. So if I think back um, about that, about this whole hardware thing, and also what you you were mentioning now that you 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 like to play with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and so on, is the same in in GTM, right? So we have. Um, a big box like Salesforce or Pardot or HubSpot with a bunch of different, um, you know, elements and pieces that we can, um, we can customize or we can, we can try to um, pimp up, let's say. So it works better for us, the same as the computer. 100%. Now, and, you know, I just, the big difference is, is just hardware versus software. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, I've never been a hardware person. I've tinkered. I've built my own PC. There's an arcade cabinet over my shoulder here um, that, that, again, it's just running off of just like a PC, a Raspberry Pi, just fun little projects. But the, the key there is just not being afraid to take the first step and, and do it. Like, just go play with something because you're not going to, I mean, you might break it, but then you learn how to fix it. Yeah. And, and, if you break it, you know, like for sure it's um, nowadays you have a lot of resources to fix it. So you, you can only break it today if you take a hammer and you really smash that uh, PC. Um, now, having that in mind, this thinking of, of problem solving and the technology that, that that's coming out, um, today's team on technology as a teammate, um, first I saw it. Uh, with Gartner, like uh, that, they they were trying to uh, explain that technology is hardly adopted, um, and there is a lot of resistance for many companies in adopting technology. And it was always like that, right? There, are, there is a bubble of you know all these startups and smaller organizations that adapted fast, right? But the the big corporations or the big companies. And there is some kind of resistance, plus um, there are a lot of use cases that uh, are not really feasible. So if if I think about it, it's really becoming like a buzzword, all this, all, a lot of the AI, uh, especially AI, um, let's say solutions that are out there, right? As in our B2B GTM long sales process use case. I'm not talking about B2C where you can do nowadays faceless YouTube channels using Hygen and, you know, all of that. So how do you see this, um, this new category, which I think will, um, will evolve a lot, this technology as a, as a teammate? Let's, let's start with some introduction on this and how you see it uh, in B2B and in, in your role. So... You're 100% right in the fact that it's right now the, the term AI is just being thrown around left and right, specifically generative AI, right? It makes perfect sense. It's a great term. Um, but one, a lot of people don't even really understand what it is. Uh, and the second part of it is I'm I'm old enough to know that the term AI has been thrown around since the year 2000, right? Like I grew yeah. up watching movies like Treasure Planet um, and a bunch of techie sci-fi movies um, from my younger years. And it's, it's not a, a term that's new to me, but it's, you know, I've been involved in the sci-fi game for a while. So, you know, I have different views of what AI could and should be. But specifically around the term generative AI, I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I think we're going through a bit of a, a renaissance, a bit of a revolution right now, if you will, because we finally broken through a point and we finally gotten technology to a point where I can now feed it larger data sets and I can ask it appropriate questions and be able to understand what I'm looking at. And that, especially in the B2B space, is huge because it allows us to work a lot faster and it allows us to take a look at, it allows us to identify and seek out trends and activities that we normally wouldn't be able to put together, right? Because ideally, right, like AI as a whole, um, for the most part, AI and automation as a whole is a lot of just taking something that's repetitive, taking something that's known that you're exposed to every day, finding an easier way to do it, making it a little bit simpler um, and doing that automation piece, just boom, getting it done. Uh, so what this generative AI allows us to do is take those larger data sets like CSVs. Um, B2B loves 
the, uh, the, like CSV file spreadsheets. Um, every company I've ever worked at, just a ton of spreadsheets. People love Excel. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you would have to sit down. You would have to understand how it worked. You'd have to consume the data, figure it out. Uh, people would make charts and graphs and everything. I can now just take that CSV and throw it into something like ChatGPT and say, uh, can you chart this? Or can you identify some trends in this data that I might not see, right? So let's 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 try to uh, do some use cases here together, like uh, an exercise. Uh, we have um, generative AI. We have this idea of technology as a teammate. We have CRMs, Salesforce, ABM campaigns, whatever. And let's try to see what are those use cases where we could use uh, generative AI or where you guys use in, in, in your operations um, to, you, to actually use it as a technology, as a teammate. Like, oh, absolutely. Here's, here's the number one use case, right? So in any CRM, whether it be Salesforce or HubSpot, wherever, um, you have a lot of data about a particular customer, about a particular prospect, about a particular company. Um, you're enriching that data usually with things from like Dun & Bradstreet or Zoom Info. Um, so you have a bunch of demographic data. You have a bunch. You might have a bunch of previous emails from the client. You have their LinkedIn information. You have you know their interests. So what you can do with this this technology as a teammate is you can just reach out and say, okay, I, here's all of the data I have. Can you help me draft a message to this person, playing on their interests, pulling in some of their demographics, shape it around this particular messaging, and give me at least a baseline to work off of, right? Because one of the things I'm in marketing, right? So a lot of what we find with our with our team is that it's really hard to and I mean, we even see this in school, anytime you have to write something, it's really hard to come up with a rough draft, right? It's really hard to get your first, oh, how do I want to say how do I want to phrase it? How do I want to structure it? Um, well, with with generative AI, you can take that data and get that skeletal outline. And sure, it might not be perfect. But it's really easy to go, oh, hey, I want to change this. I wouldn't say it like this. I, I would write it like this. So being able to aggregate that data all into one spot and then have it serve up some sort of, you know, rough outline for what you're trying to accomplish instead of you sitting and staring at a blank text forever, um, or a, like a blank uh, Word document trying to figure out how do I want to start this? What's the opening? It, it could take you 30 minutes to write an email, but with generative AI, you can do it in 30 seconds, workshop it. So two minutes out the door and you're reaching a client with a more um, personalized message than you, other, uh, th than, than you otherwise would. But I think the most important piece there is that's just one time. Where it becomes really important for people like me who are in the operations space is I can look at that one time and I can look at it and say, how can I scale this? How can I take mm -hmm. this? And instead of having it be an individual interaction where uh, you have to go in and enter this information, how can I just immediately feed that into some sort of LLM and spit back the data? And then maybe I can take it one step further. Maybe I can do that at scale. So maybe I can leverage a tool. Maybe I'm taking information from tools like Salesforce and like Zoom Info. Maybe I'm using that to write the message, leveraging something like ChatGPT for that, but then I'm putting it back and marketing at scale using something like a Pardot or using something like an outreach for personalized messaging. That's where like that that's where everything's gonna change because now we can do it. Yeah, and I think I think um that's a good start. Like if we if we think about messaging. Obviously, you guys need to go back to the basics of marketing, which is first know your audience. Like knowing your audience, it's like pretty fundamental and, and basic. Many times it's skipped. And know your audience really well. And now with uh, AI, what you can do is that you, you can actually understand how they talk, how you can do that. You have reviews. So let's say you are in a um, software, like simple sur survey system, right? Like you are a so survey um, software. Uh, you can go to any kind of uh, Trustpilot or any kind of uh, review site of software, scrape all the reviews, like all the reviews of your competitors, put it in that spreadsheet, go and open ChatGPT, 
go to uh, advanced analysis, upload the CSV, and then ask to do a text analysis using NLP. Now, the tool will, obviously you need to mention what is your objective and have that um, impersonate the AI so that you can really understand the, the personas. Now, when you start to understand these personas, maybe you go even further. You go on different podcasts that uh, your persona was there and you try to understand the tone of voice. You try to understand the, top, the topic themes. Now you start to maybe go on YouTube, maybe understand what kind of uh, features the, the competition is presenting. So you're mapping out both what how is your uh, how your competitors talk um how is your customer uh what what they say about the, competi the competition and what's the tone of voice and now you really have in almost few hours something that in the past would take us you know bunch of workshops and bunch of uh, you know hours of selecting and doing those things manually so we have the messaging and the persona. Then you can, you know, personalize those those emails and start to to work with that. Now let's see. We have the messaging, Nick. What could be a next step in the buying's journey where GTM operations manager like you could use AI after the messaging? What could be the next step that we could uh, use it in? So that's actively something that we're exploring uh, pretty much every day because the landscape is changing almost every morning I wake up. Like I sure. have to start every day by reading like 30 articles about, oh, here's some new technology you didn't know existed. Um, but so so you're right. Like we just talked about the messaging. Um, it's something that we're also using internally to kind of look at even after we close a deal, even after. So even if we skip way ahead to the end of the funnel, right? Like we're looking at, we've aggregated these customers. We're looking at their product sets, what their utilization is. Um, you can actually apply AI to those kinds of things as well and create a bit of um, almost a predictive model, if you will, for, you know, resource utilization. I have two years worth of customer data, how they've been using things. I mean, we're a cloud service provider. Right. So I have I have data on how they utilize and consume RAM, whether it be seasonally or daily. And we can now just instead of having to have these difficult conversations, hey, we think you guys might, you know, be using more stuff this coming month. Do we do you want to up your bill or do whatever? We have the opportunity to say, hey, based on the models, we can do all sorts of crazy modeling with AI uh, almost in real time based on the data we have and say, hey, we project you're going to use this kind of stuff. And that's not that groundbreaking from a go to market uh you know aspect we have been doing a lot with um reviewing like so and it's it's interesting because i know that salesforce has just released their like they've like einstein gpt like built right into salesforce which is pretty sick if you guys haven't seen it i highly recommend you check it out um but it, it it's doing a lot with sentiment analysis and it's doing mm. a lot with taking a look at the emails and the correspondence that we can that we're having with clients um and prospects and it's it's touching on like it'll highlight you know hey you know that tone's a little off you might want to check yourself or, you know, hey, it seems like they're actually interested. You can do this, that or the other. Um, and we're able to use those data points um, and create like next steps. Um, so it, it's a little bit it can be a little bit handholdy, right? So it can be we can define the work steps that we want based on the mannerisms we're seeing. So the AI is detecting the mannerisms and it's seeing it and, and it's kind of providing a score. And, and it's crazy that we've gotten to this point because I think back five, six years ago, wow, I, you would not have seen or heard anything about this. Um, and it was done in a manual fashion. You had marketers that were out there. How can we assign specific values to a raised hand lead or a click versus uh, just an email read? Now we have entire platforms like Sixth Sense, whose entire job is just to build these predictive models and generate these scores out of the box um, with minimal handholding from us as, as the maintainers. So um, there's a lot that can be done with uh, specifically identifying intent 
Um, and that's, that's the big ABM play. So it's one thing to craft the message. It's a second thing to identify, not just the demographic, but the intent behind the demographic. Yeah. And I think you have the first uh, party intent, which is uh, your data, like the, the content consumption. And then you have six cents and, uh, zoom in for others, um, whatever, mm, you know, school of thoughts of uh, intent data you believe in the topic or the keyword um and then you can you can actually build those uh, but now if we think about some practical uh, practically imagine because I, i'm just tinkering now after you, you you gave me some ideas um i have messaging uh, and let's say i have a lot of data um, from from two years or three years, a like customer base, right? Um, and I have the usage of, of, of the tool. Like in your case, it's, it's cloud computing uh, infrastructure for data, uh, like data centers, right? Now, I, I understand the seasonality, right? So I understand how they talk. I, I, I know what messaging I should craft. And I also understand the seasonality of, of usage of the tool. Plus, I might have also some kind of intent data. Now, imagine that you could do, based on the seasonality, different messagings and try to do ads, com ad campaigns, based on those, uh, based on that seasonality trend. And obviously, you have your own uh, customer insights that you know from conferences, you know by talking to to your customers and so on. So now. Not only that it's an assumption from a discussion, but also, and that's the teammate part of it, right? It's not like the technology decides for you. Like if Zoom Info says that it's the company X is in topic intent uh, for cloud computing, yeah, now let's spend a lot of money on LinkedIn on that, right? Like it doesn't work like that. You need to put your own data plus now a teammate that you have, which is technology. Well, it requires the big thing that you're touching on here is it requires like we're not at a point where things are 100 percent automated Correct. yet. They still require some form of human intervention because the data like we don't have enough data. Like AI hasn't consumed enough data to figure out how we would make these decisions. Not yet. Um, that's when things will get real scary. I don't even, I don't want to think about that. Um, but it requires the human intervention because there are some things that only we would know because we're in that space, like because of our critical thinking ability. So a perfect example, especially in the space that I'm in, right? So we're a cloud computing company. Um, you know, we'll get intense signals from universities all the time, right? Um, and, you know, are those intense signals act like, is that intent? Are the universities interested in our service? Uh, speaking candidly, nine times out of 10, they're not. It's usually a group of yeah. uh, students doing some sort of project and they're hitting our website and they're doing these. So we'll see these intense spikes, but it's, they're not valid because of X, Y, and Z. So it's understanding where those things are coming from and understanding what's driving the data and looking at it through that specific lens that gives you those insights to make the data actionable. So the most important part that I'm seeing and the big thing for us right now is there are a lot of things that we can automate and aggregate that data. But the difference between aggregating and, and understanding and then actioning, there's usually a human element right there in the middle. So somebody has to sit there and the, I would call them the keeper of the keys, um, the the orchestrator, right? So they're using tools um, like a Sixth Sense or like a, uh, you can do it with things like lean data or um, I, the one, ring lead, the orchestration softwares, right? So you're saying, uh, they're they're effectively just um uh, what have i been tinkering with lately um zapier right like that's all they are it's zapier if this and that you're saying i when i see things like this go go ahead and you know take these specific actions but somebody still has to do that instead of fully automating it because there is a risk with that especially when you're working with clients and customers because if you're projecting the wrong message or say something in a misstep like you're taking four or five steps backwards because you know, you're not saying the right thing, or maybe the AI spoke on your behalf, and maybe it shouldn't have. Yeah, that, that, that's the idea of teammates. Uh, let's let's go a little bit into how can we support sales teams, right, with this technology as a teammate. Like we as GTM or RevOps, we are let's say orchestrators, and even ABMers are orchestrators. But um, 
the boots on the ground are with the sales folks, right? Like they are the guys who talk to the clients or customer support or um, pre-sales. So I have a use case, like, um, and, and you tell me what you guys do. So, and this is still experimental. So I was thinking to, and I created some chatbots internally where we added all the information about our services, about the competition, about the landscape, so and about the personas. So it's not like just chat GPT going on, but it's a it's an actual customized bot that has the uses chat GPT, but also uses the data of the CRM and the data of the messaging and the persona and the unique selling proposition and unique mechanism and so on. And also adding it new data to it, like fresh data from what's happening in the industry. Like you can scrape uh, a bunch of LinkedIn posts of some influencers because they talk about what is uh, happening in a market and build this chatbot and give it to the, uh, to the persona, um, sorry, to the sales rep with filled in also the target, uh, the targeted accounts. So you say, Okay, the, the chatbot knows all these things, plus it also knows all the 50 targeted accounts that we go after with all the uh, buying personas that are there and now use this instead of ChatGPT to create emails, to create LinkedIn messages, posts, engagements, and so on. So this is an experiment that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, running now. Uh, as a technology, as a teammate. Now, please challenge that or please tell me uh, what are those things that um, that could not work or what are the things that could really, really work uh, in this case? No, I, so I, it, candidly, we're, we're actually running through something very similar right now. Like we're building mm -hmm. uh, almost the exact same chatbot, if you will, um, because the idea was one of the things that we found, um, and this is, we're talking about post-sales support here, um, we're, we're a cloud provider, right? So our documentation's pretty dense, right? It's not, mm. it's not easy to consume. It's, you know, if you don't specifically know what you're looking for, it can be a challenge to find it. So we took a step back and we said, well, how could we make Make that experience a little bit more conversational, a little bit easier to find this stuff. Um, so one of the things that we kind of piloted internally was we took our knowledge base, like our huge KB of technical mm. documentation, this, that, and the other. And we were able to whittle that down into a chat bot and say, okay, now I can just go in and I can ask it questions and it'll use that data to provide me the answers. So instead of me having to pick up a phone and call somebody for support, when I need something right now, or it's a quick, like, walk me through Sweet. this, I can just say, hey, show me how to do this. So we piloted that internally. And I believe we're in the process of rolling that out with like our existing clients so that they can actually go in, leverage it the same way that we do. Now, from a sales team standpoint, so that's support, right? And that's, I think the support sector is where a lot of the AI has the, the potential yeah. to really hit full swing and make people's life easy, but it can do it on the sales side as well. So we're doing something where, um, you know, we're looking at uh, data points from Sixth Sense, um, the intent-based data, what the conversations will look like. We are feeding it into uh, like ChatGPT. We're creating these personas, like you've said, we're crafting these emails, um, but we're not, fully we haven't fully automated it yet because what we're mm -hmm. hearing right one of the things you touched on earlier was the idea that you know a lot of these bigger organizations like they're having trouble adopting it and why is that right well part of it is fear right part of its security part of its fear they're kind of tied together um you know what if there's a data leak what happens if these things end up in the model and people shouldn't see this information that's one part of it but the other part of it is you have sales reps you especially you have people who've been in this industry for 10 20 30 years um and they're trying to sell and they've you know they've been in the game for a long time they have their method they have their way of saying things they have their yeah, way of doing things exactly so that's change management 101 trying to get those sales reps over that hurdle and say hey we're trying to accelerate your ability to touch base and get in front of these customers oh like it's hard yeah. for them to swallow because they have their own way of doing it so the pushback we get is that's not how i would say it that's not how i would do it um and what we found is 
if we can generate the email and just say, hey, like we did this for you as like a rough draft. We did. Can you just review it? Maybe send it out. Here's what we think you should do. Um, that's gone a long way in earning their trust around a lot of these tools um, and acting as that digital assistant, because it's like it's like when you hire a new executive assistant, right? You might not trust them out of the gate. They have to earn their keep. So the thing with data is, is we're especially it's 2023. A lot of people have like application fatigue. So like there's yeah, something new every couple of weeks. So um, how do we combat that? We have to earn their trust and show them that these platforms work and do what we're telling them they're going to do. Yeah, I think I think the easiest way to to start with this is to have some kind of pilot project, same as we do it with uh, ABM, right? Like you don't you don't roll out a full blown ABM project. You do an, uh, a pilot first. Uh, okay, so we um, we have also the technology behind of, on creating these chatbots. So. Even if you go on Zapier, like with the, now with the Zapier interfaces uh, and Zapier Canvas, which is just launched, um, you can actually build a, a very, in a very easy way, a chatbot, right? Like you, if you have an OpenAI uh, uh, API, which is pretty much easy to get, and they are rolling out the ChatGPT4 API, just go and 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 uh, subscribe for the waiting list, and now now you have. Zapier, which you you already know, then you have documents like at, at this point, I think it's PDF, CSV, and TXT that you could actually embed. And this is basic, right? Like we are talking about basic Zapier things. There are other tools where you could actually build it up in a more advanced way uh, to have a, even even like a crawler. Uh, automatic crawl, like imagine that um, you have a knowledge base, but this knowledge base is updated, right? Like it's getting updated. So then you need to update also the the, the the whole bot, right? So you need to have a crawler that goes back and, and checks for new fresh data. Okay, so we have we have the AI part and we had the some use cases for sales and for uh, customer success. What about reporting? Like where do you... Where do you see it work? How do you um, how do you guys use it? I can tell you a bit about the uh, HubSpot. Like they have this new chat spot thingy, like a small um, like a chat GPT um, with your data in the CRM. And actually, you can ask for reports. So you can just go in and ask. How many new contacts did we get this week, or what are the new pipelines that pipelines that we opened? Uh, what are the uh, deals that are, you know, forecasted to close in the next three months? Things like that, and then the the chat actually makes that reporting for you. This is huge because we don't need anymore to wait for the RevOps teams to make those dashboards for us. We go in and then we chat and we make those those dashboards, which is for me like like technology as a teammate one oh one, right? It's it's there. I I agree with that. So the <laughs> this is where I start to like go the other direction on AI. And maybe it's because I'm in the RevOps space a lot. Um, that's the part that scares me, right? Because I think as AI gets further and as this generative AI gets further and further removed from the more technical individuals within the organization, right? So the people that actually understand what generative AI means and how to use it as a tool. Mm -hmm. And as it moves up the stack and, and ends up in the hands of executives and non-technical folks, um, they may not understand what they're looking for and they may not understand how to craft the prompts or the messages, right? So mm. the idea that the conversational part of this is is fantastic like being able to go to i think salesforce just implemented it with tableau right like you can go in and just type like i want to see x y and z and it builds the report for you i think that's awesome brilliant yeah but the problem is a lot of these organizations have been around for years and there's technical debt behind the scenes that skew those numbers or skew those results. So being able to say, like, run me a report on all closed revenue, um, the organization may specifically hide things from closed revenue or remove things from the funnel for specific reasons that the AI may not know. So uh, hopefully, and, and I'm hoping that in the situation we're talking about here, somebody has trained it, somebody has
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all good. Can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, did you? I can't hear you all of a sudden. What happened? I could hear you. What? You were good. Okay. I don't. I still can't hear you. It's super weird. Um, <laughs> but you cannot specifically, hear me now? Uh, nope, can't hear you. Um, but okay. specifically, um, if that data is not grounded, uh, and it's not, if there's no context for it for those individuals, if they don't understand what they're looking at or how they're asking the question, um, they could say, show me all the closed deals, but it may not align with what the company is expecting to see. And we see that even without AI, right? Because you have individuals that want to run off and build their own reports, build their own dashboards, they export them to CSVs, and then they come in and they they challenge the data that the organization's looking at. Hey, my reports are different. Why are my reports different? Well, because you didn't take into account X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's where we start to see a lot of that. Yeah. Very good point. Can I wanted to get now? us to a natural stopping point so I can troubleshoot this real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, no issues. One, two, three. Yeah, it's good. But, but I hear you. Good, good, good. Okay, you're back. Great. Technology as a teammate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you're you're right. So what what I see about that is I I I went on on GitHub and I found this um, very very interesting use case from some folks at um, in Chicago, uh, the university in, in Illinois. And what these guys did is that they, they looked at um, the same problem, this problem of uh, prompting. Because prompting is, it was, it's like a huge issue. You, you, you might ask something and then somebody asks something else. And, um, so what these, guys realize, uh, what these guys did is that they did a lot of study about something called um, multi-agents. So what is this multi-agents is basically you are asking before before even running and executing some kind of action by the AI, um, there is a, let's say, you create a conductor. So you need to use only one prompt that you add in the chat GPT that gives some kind of instructions to the AI that, hey, before I execute something, uh, call in a conductor, they call it the Professor uh, Synapse. And this Professor Synapse, it's a conductor of other expert agents, meaning of other personas. So the professor first asks you before, so you say, write, an e write me an email about, I don't know, um, apology email, by customer support, right? So what AI would do now is that will just start to give you the output about, it will not ask you anything, right? It will just give you the output. So what these guys did, they said, no, before we give the output, we need to have some kind of questions. So the professor becomes like a consultant, right? And the AI actually starts to ask, okay, but in what situation, what situation is happening? What is the uh, goal of this email? What do you want it to do next? What's the tone of voice? Things that a basic, let's say, non-tech user will not input in the prompt, right? So then you just have a conversation with the professor. I, um, I don't know, the server went down, um, it was, it's a old client of ours and please use a conversational tone of voice because we know each other, right? So we already have a lot of information to the professor. Now the professor, the AI itself, without your interaction, goes in and asks for the right persona, for the right agent to write you that email. So this is what they call multi-persona AI, right? So the professor disappears and another agent comes in and now it tells you, here's the process. Here, here is what I will do as an AI 
for you. And this is what information I got from the professor. And it lists down the process and asks you, is this a good plan? Or you want to change something about it? And then you add the information and then you start to get the, then you get the answer. So this is a solution for all those folks who are non-technical. And you're right, without this and without, without something like this, it's impossible to scale it and have really good use cases because the raw AI doesn't become a teammate. It, he becomes like a super annoying, you know, kid that is doing all the wrong things <laughs> that you ask him. He, to he like wants to help. He just doesn't know how to yeah, help because exactly. he hasn't. Like... Well, and and I've so I've never heard of this professor thing. I actually pulled it up while you were talking about it. I really enjoy that because like that's the one thing we've been trying to impart to our users that want to leverage ChatGPT, right? Is it's just, you need to be very prescriptive with your prompts. Like even I, like I'm no, like I'm not an expert prompt engineer. Like I think in my version of, of GPT, I've been leveraging um, something called prompt perfect, right? Where I just start every prompt with yeah, the word yeah, perfect yeah. and it enhances it, right? Like that's, that's sick. Um, but the idea that you have something you can call in these personas, my, my thing for my users and what I've had in the back of my mind for a while is effectively like a mad lib right because it's everything we talked about but i want them to provide the input right if i'm hearing from them this isn't how they would say it or this isn't how they would craft the message okay cool well i have all of the account data i have all of the contact data what if i just said okay i want to you know on the screen using a low code no code tool like retool or something i could say okay i want this email written in the style of and then there's a drop down with five different options right so they still have the ability to tweak the messaging but i'm grounding it like i'm the professor in this situation where yeah. we've pre-generated this prompt that we're going to feed so it aligns with everything we want from a company and i'm giving them a, a handful of variables they can't change everything but they can change about six or seven things that allows them to refine the message and go back and, and generate it a few times that's kind of where my head was at i'm it's not nowhere as cool as the professor um but it's it's along the same way i think yeah and, and i think I mean, the, the, the folks there, they, they studied AI, they have PhD in AI and stuff, and they, they just open sourced all this. So for the listeners, just, just go on, on Google and, and Google GitHub repository, Professor Synapse. Um, and and you, just, you just put in the prompt in the custom instructions in your chat GPT, and you have it there always, right? Now imagine this, which I... I I would do in real life, but now you can do in, in with AI. Now, let's say the professor got the right agent and I got the right email. I'm talking only email, not which is the easiest use case. And now I, they, they have some kind of commands also. So I have a command called town hall debate, which is like, bring me other agents yeah, because this was a copywriter, but bring me the financial guy, bring me the, I don't know, the operations guy, bring me in the, um, and then, I don't know, the CFO, whatever, and let's debate on this email. And each one of you agents, and these are all AI agents, they start to debate about that email and gives you ideas on how they would do it in their perspective of the agent. And imagine it's the same AI, it's just, it has a different personality, it has a different persona. Now, because this is what you would do as a, as a smart marketer, you would go and get feedback from different people, what do you think about my email or this situation? And I think this is the next level of and an advanced way to use uh, AI because it's then it's really technology as a as a teammate, right? So well, and just to daisy chain off that, like that's huge, especially in the ABM space right now because the way buyers buy has changed over the course of the last ten years, especially like with the pandemic and everything that's happened with COVID, like w there are now a lot more seats at the table and you like conversations that would be, you know, we usually sell into the IT stack um, conversations that would really just be one or two people now also include the CFO, the CTO, the CEO, because Correct. they're aligning all of these company objectives. So from a, from a selling standpoint, from 
a marketing standpoint, being able to have something like an AI iterate through all of these different personas, these different personalities, and refine that messaging so that it hits each of these key decision makers and aligns that message so that it's ready to go out the gate is amazing for us because that would take time, that would take money, that would take that would take so long to get together on its own, but having it having a robot do it, absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it's just 20 bucks a month with uh, ChatGPT Plus, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, so so if we if we think about technology as a teammate, where do you see and like uh, this going? Because um, just just before we finish, I want to look a little bit about the vision, the future of um, technology as a teammate. How do you see your role changing with this whole technology in place? Like, that's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out every day because, uh, <laughs> again, because there are updates every day, like there's something crazy every day. So my rules specifically, like I will say that over the course of the last couple of months, I've had to get at first I was casually poking into like the GPTs of the world and how all this stuff could work. Um, now we have a lot of vendors, right? We have a lot like Salesforce is rolling out tablet, like all of these different vendors that we use in our tech stack are making these AI plays, which is great. Um, but it's now my responsibility to um, kind of sift through the BS and like look mm. at what they're doing and say, one, is it is what you're doing actually that revolutionary or is it just something that I could have made on my own for half the price? Um, and speaking super candidly, about 50% of what I see vendors trying to put out there right now is just, you know, it's basically just a webhook back to chat GPT to do whatever they're saying it will do. Like uh, nine times out of 10, it's very yeah, straightforward. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much... Uh... It's tables. They safe. use the OpenAI API. Yeah. So it's, are you truly using it in an innovative way? So I have to be a lot more prescriptive and, and understand what they're looking at, do a lot more research. But I also, I'm towing a line where how can I introduce these things to my sales team and not scare them terribly? Because um, as we said, like the change management piece of it is really difficult. Um, my big thing right now, the way it's affected my role is a lot of data cleanliness, right? We talked about grounding. We talked about making sure that we have data that's actually relevant. So a lot of my job now is going back and looking at the historical data that we have and looking at what we have available. One, making sure that it's all accessible to tools like this. And two, making sure that it's it's clean enough that we can make unique decisions about the information. Um, but then the last big thing is the the automation, right? Like, you know, if if I can have... If I can utilize something um, like the model and the professor we just dis like just discussed, um, that eliminates a lot of overhead that we would need internally within the organization. It eliminate like the speed, the speed to get in front of customers, the speed to get in front of um, anybody is just cut dramatically because I can pull this information and send that stuff out. It becomes a lot more actionable. Um, it's just what actions do you want to take? And I think that's where we need to, from marketing, that's where we want to focus our time, right? Like what interactions do we have that are meaning meaningful and will drive those clients over, um, over the line and, and lead to that closed one business. So that's, we're looking at that in, in regards to how can we take the AI piece and, and apply it in that space? Yeah. And I think this idea of architect will be more and more, uh, needed. Because you will not need so many, um, you know, operations uh, in terms of execution because the AI or different technologies will execute faster and, and it will be um, slowly evolving so much that we, we will have a lot of blueprints and a lot of use cases out of the box. What we will need to do is to customize those blueprints, right? And that's to the actual business need or the landscape or the market situation. Uh, so revenue architects or go-to-market architects will, will be something that uh, companies will need more and more rather than um, those folks that will, will build the... Um, automation and workflows inside of the um, of the apps because you will have just the, the blueprints with ready-made um, automations. Great, Nick. So I think I think um, this 
podcasts were really good and thank you for uh, joining us um it's it's a hot topic we could talk hours and hours about this because i see we are both uh, pretty uh, excited and um, passionate about this topic so how can people find you where are you are you writing about this technology as a teammate uh, are you planning to what's your um best way people can get to you uh my linkedin's probably the easiest so if anybody has questions um you know i th- this is my passion i i enjoy i do it every day wake up smile on my face and go to work um but no there there's a lot of cool stuff coming from a company standpoint so um you know if you need data center services let me know uh go to the cloud uh there's my plug for expedient but uh, for me personally, it's just, you know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I don't really do social media as much. Um, I am on IMDb, though. So there <laughs> you can go check out my short films on IMDb. Oh, nice. Um, Sweet. Yeah. So we should. Uh, uh, I have a, a couple features out there, too. Those were fun to make. But uh, no, uh, LinkedIn's probably best. And, you know, or, or just my email, um, which nick.lansbury at expedient.com. It's pretty easy. So. But no, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. So you're right. I could talk about this all day. This was fantastic. Yeah, I think next one, next one should be on um, AI video editing softwares like Filmora oh. and all of that because there are also like some neat technologies out there to do video. It's I've been playing around with them and oh man, to, I would give anything to have those when I was like ten. <laughs> so which one? Which one is the best now on AI video editing? Uh, there it's, I haven't found any that I'm like in love with, but I'm pretty particular, right? Like I, I'm used to editing like from scratch. So sometimes nine times out of 10, it's a lot easier for me to just go in and do it because it takes me longer right now to figure out how to make the program do what I want it to do. Um, but I expect in the next two years, I'll be able to just upload a podcast like this or upload any of the webinars we're shooting and it'll just dice it up and, you know, apply chat GPT to it, t- do a trailer and then publish yeah. it on YouTube somewhere. So I, w- I won't have a job in two years. Yeah, I think Filmora uh, 12 and even Riverside, uh, the platform that we we are today, it can chop up some some small clips after this and. That's I like that they can like yeah. auto format now and like change the mobile yeah, friendly yeah, version, yeah. not just sixty nine. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. See you guys in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much.